open up to Matthew chapter 25, if you will. Matthew chapter 25. I didn't talk to Jeff this week. I, I haven't communicated with him, but man, the, the songs that were chosen for today are absolutely perfect. That last line that we sang together, he will return in robes of white, our eyes transfixed on his face. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today the second coming of Jesus Christ. And to prepare us for that, let me tell you a little bit about the marriage expectation that we find in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever looked at this closely, but all throughout God's Word, there is a marriage expectation that we see. And so if you're keeping notes this morning, you can write down, Be Ready as the title of the sermon, and then write down the marriage expectation. I remember the day that we were married, Melissa and I are celebrating 23 years, and so 24 eventually this year. Great day. You never forget your wedding day. You better not forget your wedding day. And so I remember that day in particular. It rained that morning. It was an August day, hot, humid, rain that morning, kind of cool things off for a little bit. I remember us walking out of the church with $11 to our name. That's all we had, seriously. Did not know where we were going to go on a honeymoon. Thankfully, her dad handed us an envelope, and we, we went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Sonic, big spender. I know you girls are jealous. And, uh, and there in the service, I remember the day that, uh, or the, the time in particular when they opened the back door because we had not seen each other through the day. They opened the back door there during the marriage ceremony, and Melissa stepped up and, man, blown away, blown away. Just uh, couldn't, I was just overcome. I mean, just a picture of, of beauty and grace. And so I watched as she walked down the aisle and she took her place there beside me. And you guys have to understand, I was so overwhelmed. I, I really didn't know what to say. I'm a whole lot of country, so I'm, I'm not real good with words anyway. So I just turned to her and I said, boy, you sure clean up good. <laughs> You're not going to hear that line in a Hallmark movie or anything like that. <laughs> All throughout Scripture, though, there is a marriage expectation, and Jesus actually paints the picture today of a wedding ceremony. So join me, Matthew 25, verse 1. Let's hear the story that he tells us. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. You might want to start underlining foolish and wise in this passage. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took their flask of oil. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him, verse 7. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came back also, saying, Lord, Lord, Open to us, but he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. So Jesus ends the story with one instruction for us today, church. Watch, therefore, 
for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus is using, he's painting this, this beautiful picture of a wedding ceremony to relate to us his return, his second coming. And this is not new to us in scriptures. We often come to passages like Ephesians 5, where husbands are told to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Again, a relation to how Jesus and the church interacts. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, the church is described as the bride of Christ. Again, a, a, a message of the relationship that Jesus has towards us. There's this expectation. The very first miracle that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John, do you remember? What is it? It's, it's the turning of water into wine. Where? At a marriage ceremony. And we wonder about that. That's Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine? What, what in the world is going on there? I'll tell you what's going on there. His first miracle is a foreshadowing of his final miracle, when he will come and receive his bride unto himself, and there will be a celebration like no other. The wedding feast of the Lamb will occur. We hear about it in Revelation chapter 19, this wedding feast that will happen when Jesus steps into this very ordinary existence into your very ordinary life and he transforms it much like he did the water very ordinary into wine very extraordinary he's going to take this existence and he's going to transform it into something that is phenomenal very extraordinary that's what Jesus does when he calls the church his bride back to himself and so there's this marriage expectation throughout as we look at the reunion between Jesus and his church. But secondly, in this story, we need to see something else. The seriousness of preparation for this wedding. If you're keeping notes with me this morning, you can write that down. The seriousness of preparation. There's a lot of preparation that goes into marriages. It's almost overwhelming. We've got three kids now who are getting older, and we're almost to that transition phase of life where they're leaving the house and they're, they're beginning to find their own jobs. Our oldest one is actually having an interview next week for his first full-time salaried position and, and, and they're making that transition and thinking about days ahead and weddings. It's almost overwhelming to think about a, a, the preparation that is required. You got the wedding dress. You've got to invite guests and guest invitations. You got to get the right cake. If you know my wife, you better get the right cake when we go to a wedding. There's the colors for the wedding, the decorations. You got to find the little knickknacks. You got to find little jars that have mints in them that say mint for each other. And you got to you got you got to come up with the dance playlist, you know, for after the wedding so that your your the father and the bride will have this dance that goes viral on YouTube and you've got to have the rehearsal and the meals and the wedding party, the the groomsmen, the brides, all these things. But listen, what Jesus was talking about here was a very, very simple wedding process. Three stages to a Jewish wedding that we need to know today. Three stages. There was the engagement. The engagement is where a young man would set his heart on some young lady and he would actually go to the father's house and he would negotiate. I'm sorry, it's a little archaic, but he would barter as a father of a daughter I kind of like this idea but he would barter for the daughter's hand in marriage and he would offer something he would pay a bridal price for that daughter's hand in marriage and then once that was agreed upon they were engaged they entered into a contract 
with one another, and they entered what is called the betrothal stage. Now, during the betrothal stage, the prospective groom would take off. He would go and he would begin to build a home and prepare for a family that was going to be made out of this new marriage unit. He was going to prepare and build a home, and meantime, the bride was getting herself ready for that wedding ceremony. It often lasted about a year, and, 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 and it's during this betrothal time that they could see each other, but there was no physical contact whatsoever, yet they were still under contract. We, we know this, this phase. We, we've seen it before in the story of Mary and Joseph, right? Mary and Joseph were betrothed to each other. They had been engaged, but not yet married. Joseph was preparing the home. It was so scandalous that Mary became pregnant during that time because they were not supposed to have any physical contact. So there's a betrothal stage. Finally, there's the wedding, the actual time when the groom would enter into the picture and they would, he would come for the bride. And it was often a little unexpected when he would show up on the scene. And the bridesmaids, it was their job to be ready to announce the coming of the groom. They were supposed to have these lamps filled with oil because once the celebration started, it was going to last for a long time. It was a big community event. Everybody was going to show up. They were going to light the way for the next seven days as this marriage took place. And then they were finally one, man and wife. So how would the bride know when the groom was coming? The bridesmaids. They would be waiting for him. They would have their lamps ready to go. And once he entered the scene, the celebration would take place. You can see the correlations, can't you, between Jesus and the church? You can see it. There was the engagement time when Jesus, often referred to as the bridegroom, came. He came and he went to a cross and he paid a price. He has paid the bridal price for you and for me and this church. He paid the price. He came and he laid down his life because our sins needed a price paid. So he was willing to, to pay that price. So he came and he paid for us so that we could enter in. It's often referred to as being redeemed. That word redeemed means bought. He bought us by shedding his precious blood for the remission of our sins and for the brokenness that we have. He came. He paid the bridal. And so when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, place your faith in him, you are engaged, if you will. You enter into a covenant, a contract with him. He is Savior and Lord. You are his disciple and follower. And now we live in what is called a betrothal period. Second Peter uh, chapter 3 refers to this as the days of grace because the Lord is not willing for anyone to perish, so he is gone. And now we have this waiting time for when the groom is going to enter back onto the scene. And we're in this betrothal time waiting for him. And in the meantime, we're preparing ourselves for his coming. This language shouldn't be too new to us. If you have ever heard John 14, beginning in verse 1, often read at funerals, but I think it's more apt for wedding-type language. Jesus told us, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. My Father's house, listen, has many rooms. King James says, many 
mansions. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. The betrothal of Jesus now preparing this marvelous, majestic place referred to as mansions in some parts of Scripture. He's building us a home, and we are waiting for him to come. And then finally one day there will be a pronouncement of the groom. The trumpets will sound. The celebration will begin. The wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb will happen. So you and I have to sit here today, and we've got to take this serious, this preparation. How do we know when he's coming? Can we tell? Let me give you just a few signs, because right before he spoke this parable in chapter 25, in chapter 24 of Matthew, he gives us a few things to be looking for. So let me give you those just real quick as we are taking this seriously today. Signs that Jesus may come. The preaching of the gospel to all nations, Matthew 24, 14. Did you know that the gospel is going out to the entire world as we speak? This past summer, I I run a camp called Super Summer, and, and we live stream our services at the camp. And we think that that is just for parents that are back home, and we think that's for some folks who would like to be there who couldn't come. But we had a staffer this year who could not be at Super Summer. It was killing him not to be there. So he was on assignment in China for his school. He's sitting at a cafe in China on a university campus. He's watching the live stream during the day, because we're at night. During the day, he's watching those, those services on his phone. Somebody walks up behind him and says, what are you watching? He begins to explain, this is a worship service. Come to find out, this person is a missionary. He says, I have a little house church that meets. Can we show that service tonight? Absolutely. They take the service, they record it, they show the service at their house church in China from little old Arkansas. Seven people are saved that night. They decide that they're going to show every service every night. They're going to get together. They begin to subtitle it. They begin to translate it into Chinese so that everybody will understand what's going on. By the end of the week, 21 people had given their life to Christ in China on a university campus. They sent those services to Thailand. Seven more received Christ in Thailand. The gospel is going out to the nations as we speak. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Matthew 24, 15 through 22. We know that. We see that. We turn on the TV every day. Matthew 24 also says that there will be a more regular occurrence of catastrophic natural disasters. These are birth pangs. The the creation that we live in is crying out for redemption, for a Savior, for someone to come and make all of this right again. And Romans describes the current state of affairs as birth pangs of of the groaning of creation. it's, it's kind of in reference to how a, a lady, when pregnant, will, will be giving birth. And as she's giving birth, those contractions come. And those contractions start off a little less intense. But as they become more and, and more regular, they grow in their intensity. That's what the scriptures are describing. These natural disasters, as they become more intense and more regular, it's creation groaning out for a Savior to come. 
a rise of false prophets and false teachers. We don't need to say too much about that today. Some of the biggest churches in the world are built on false prophets and false teachers. Persecution in 24, 9, and 10. Persecution of the saints will become more prevalent. Christianity Today, a magazine, they wrote an article a couple years ago entitled The Worst Year Yet. Open Doors is an organization that goes into closed countries where you can't take the scriptures, you can't share the gospel. They go in and and they try to to give scriptures away. I've met the, the leaders of that organization, have a heart for the gospel. Open Doors says that in 2017, that persecution rose drastically for the third year in a row. South Asia, Southeast Asia, Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, all reporting unprecedented levels of persecution. This article goes on to say that now one in 12 believers globally are persecuted for their faith. Is he coming? He is coming. Our job is to be prepared, to be ready. Our job is to take this seriously. So number three, write this down. Celebration can turn to desperation. Celebration can turn to desperation. This is the twist in the story. If you're a TV watcher and you ever watch those old reruns of Law and Order, that old lawyer show, this is the twist that happens about 30 minutes in. This this bridal party is ready. They're they're watching for the groom to come, but when he shows up on the scene, five of them are wise. They have the oil that is necessary. Five are foolish. They wake up. They try to find some oil. Nobody's going to share. They take off and go to try buy some oil in time to get back for the festival. Desperation's just set in. Listen, desperation happens when you cannot find what you need most. Now, some of us relate to that. We get up in the mornings and we've got to be at our jobs and we can't find our car keys. Desperation sets in. Uh, You've been in college before and you procrastinated to the very end and a paper is due and desperation sets in. My wife worked a grant job in Scott County. She managed a $600,000 grant. And part of this grant is that she had to be at a particular meeting in Little Rock on a particular day at a particular time. It was written into the grant. If you're late, if you don't show up, the grant's gone. Your job's gone. Back then, we didn't have GPS on the cell phones. So she gets up early that day. She takes off. She's heading towards Little Rock. Waldron's three hours away. She, she gets there in plenty of time, thankfully, but she cannot find the location. I remember her calling me and the desperation in her voice. Now, thankfully, she called me, and I'm not navigationally challenged. I got her where she needed to be. She found her way. Can you imagine... Just think about those duck boats in Branson that that sunk and had life jackets right above their heads last year, a couple years ago. The desperation that set in. This is the kind of desperation that these foolish folks are feeling in this story. What what is it that they're missing? Oil. What does that mean? Is there something symbolic about the oil? What does that oil stand for? Many interpretations on this. Could it be grace? 
Maybe. Could it be the Holy Spirit? That's a pretty good interpretation according to Zechariah and Psalms. Whatever it is, you had to have it when the groom came onto the scene. When Jesus comes back, you better have the oil, which is something symbolic for salvation, being in relationship with him, knowing who Jesus is. And we find out from the story that when he does show up, there will not be any sharing of the oil. You won't be passing around oil when Jesus comes onto the scene. You can't hand off your salvation. You can't live off of someone else's oil. At the moment when Jesus comes back, we're not going to steal someone else's grace. We're not going to be able to point and say, I'm with him or I'm with her. And church, what I really worry about this day and age is that some folks are saying, all I need is just a little bit of Jesus. All I need is just a little drop of oil. According to this passage, that's foolish. It's foolish to say, all I need is just a little bit. Some of us have walked into the place today. We sit next to a very faithful spouse, someone who knows and loves Jesus. And we've come and we've sat next to that spouse today just because he or she is here. We really don't have that relationship with Jesus, but, but our spouse does, and, and we're coming, and we're going to support our spouse. Listen, when that day comes, you won't be living off of your spouse's faith. Kids in the room, students in the room, young adults in the room, some of you are at church today just because it is the thing to do on Sunday morning in when you woke up and you came because mom and dad made you. You woke up and you came because it is expected of you. But listen to me, when Jesus shows up that day, you will not be living off of your parents' faith. It has to be your faith. You have to own it at that time. Some of us have walked in today. We're listening to me, the preacher. And that's what we do on Sundays. We come. And our interaction with the Lord God Almighty is based off of about 45 minutes on Sunday morning as someone sings and someone preaches. You're living off your pastor's faith at that moment. And it's not going to cut it when Jesus shows up on the scene. This has to be personal. It has to be your faith. You cannot live off of somebody else's oil. And so, for good news, let's talk about the assurance of the invitation. Closing out on a positive note, there is an assurance of an invitation. For those who are prepared, for those who have been waiting, for those who know the groom, that they will be invited into this wedding feast. The groom came, the wives were prepared, the door was shut. And what I love about this story is being prepared does not mean being perfect. Did you notice that all ten fell asleep while waiting? Did you notice that all ten kind of laid down on the job? They weren't perfect, but they were prepared when Jesus comes. R.C. Sproul, he calls this the scariest passage in Scripture. That's a big statement. Why? Because the bridal party all had some sort of knowledge of what was going on. Think about it. We want to turn this passage into a scripture on lost and saved. Five lost, five saved. And that's a good way of looking at it. That's true. But we have to dig a little bit deeper because all ten were in the bridal party. All ten had some sort of knowledge as to what was happening. All ten had an expectation 
for a groom. This passage is so scary because there was a group that were of some sort of knowledge, and yet they did not get it when the end came. And Jesus said to them, I do not know you. It almost reminds us of Matthew 7, right? The Beatitudes at the end of that famous sermon where Jesus says, I do not know you. These folks show up and say, but I, I taught in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says, I, I do not know you. So how can we have this assurance of an invitation? This last year, I'll mention Super Summer again, the, the camp that I run. They, uh, we had such a tremendous outpouring of the Spirit. Uh, so many folks came and, and really wanted their faith to be real. They, uh, we had a pastor's son, 18 years old, who came and said, I've been playing games with the church my entire life. Was saved at Super Summer, gave his life to Jesus, went back home to his church, boldly proclaimed that in front of his church, a big step for a young man to go back and say, I was just playing games, it was all fake. Stood up in front of his church, was baptized that Sunday following camp. His little sister is in the front row. She says, me too, that's the same with me. She was saved that day and she was baptized. We had a youth pastor's wife during camp who came and said, I've just been messing around with this. I don't really own this. This has just been kind of a, a culture that I live in, a life that I live in. It's not my faith. So she came, received Christ, went home to her church where her husband was full-time staff and said to the church, I'm, I'm, it's all been a, a lie. I need Jesus. Was saved, baptized at her church. How can we know that we're not playing games with Jesus? Let me give you some assurances real quick out of 1 John, because this is why 1 John was written. If you've ever wondered about 1 John, make no mistake. 1 John 5 says, I have written these things so that you may know, so that you can be assured, so that you can walk out these doors this morning, hopeful, expectant, waiting for when Jesus will return. Number one, you've got to have a love of God's Word. Do you have a love of God's Word? 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Do you love the commandments? Do you look at the parameters that are found in Scripture and you say, yes, I believe in those? Do you look at the promises and say, those are phenomenal, fantastic, I want those in my life? Number two, a love for other people. Do you love other people? 1 John 2, 9 and 11. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. Everyone that loves God knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God because God is love. Do you love other people? Scripture says that if you have him in your heart, you will. Number three, a love for the church, 1 John 3, 14 and 17. Do you love being with God's people, the church? Do you love serving the church? Do you love exercising your gifts and ministries to the church? Do you love it? Scripture says that if you know him, then you love the church because he loves the church. Number four, a faith in the Son of God, 1 John 5 and 10. Do you believe that Jesus is God's Son? Do you believe in his sacrifice on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that a man rose from the dead? That he resurrected and he now has all authority over life and death. Number five, is the Holy Spirit in you, 1 John 4, 13. Are you convicted when you sin? That's not just feeling bad because somebody else may find out. That's not, that's not real conviction from the Holy Spirit. Conviction that you have sinned against a holy God, 
That's the Holy Spirit in you. Conviction comes. Courage. Do you have courage? Do you have courage from the Holy Spirit to go out and to display your faith in the lost world around us? That comes from the Holy Spirit. Wanting to be more like Jesus, 1 John 1, 6 through 7. Do you walk in the light because he is the light? And you want to be more like him and be that light on display because that's what the purpose of the bride's bridal party was, was about. They, they wanted to put the light out there to prepare the way of the groom. That is our job. Prepare the way of Jesus. Show folks who he is and that he is coming. He's coming. When we, when we uh, went to a conference in Atlanta one time, I had a buddy with me. This has been several years ago. We were in the Atlanta airport, and there was a uh, uh, soldier that we had ridden on the airplane with, but I didn't know exactly what was going on until we got to the terminal, and we went to the baggage claim area, and as we came to the baggage claim area, there was a family, a large family that was standing there ready, waiting on somebody. You could tell, man, anticipation gripped them. And they were decked out in American flags. They had little American flags, three little kids, blonde-headed little kids, all dressed out in American flag type of clothing. Older folks there, all staring at the escalator as we came down. So the flight unloaded and began to make our way off. You've seen these videos, these reunion videos on YouTube. And I mean, they always get you. You know, that's watching the reunion of a soldier with his family. And I've never been a part of that until this moment. And so we're standing there in the baggage claim area, and I'm, I'm watching for the luggage to come by, and here he comes down the escalator. And, man, he is making his way down, and they are making their way to him. And there is a reunion moment in the middle of that terminal. That family is hugging and crying, and the joy of reunification as that family met together. We couldn't believe it. And so I, me and my buddy, we start looking for his baggage. We, we, we see his army per, uh, stuff come through, and so we're pulling it off of the, the, the little terminal there, and we're, we're getting it to him, and man, congratulating on him on his service. Reunification. For the believer in Jesus Christ, that's what it's going to be like for us one day when Jesus steps out into this existence and makes all things new. We're going to know him. He will know you. And there will be a great celebration to be a part of. The question this morning is, do you have that assurance? We can't play games on this. We can't. Celebration can turn to desperation. Do you know him today? Don't wait until it's too late. Are you expecting him? Are you joyfully anticipating the perfection that is coming when Jesus overcomes it all.